And now the reading of the scripture for today comes from 2 Samuel 6, verses 12 through 19. It was, told, it was told King David, The Lord has blessed this house of, of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Edom, Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an oxen and a fatling. David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was girdled with linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. They brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and offerings of well-being before the Lord. When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the offerings of well-being, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed food among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, to each a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. Then all the people went back to their homes. The word of the God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When I think of the Ark of the Covenant, I can't help but think of Indiana Jones. <laughs> you know, in Indiana Jones, he was an archaeologist in the movie, and, uh, and he is, he's, he's recruited to go kind of find where the Ark might be, I think, as I recall. And, and then the Nazis find the Ark, and Indiana Jones is a prisoner. And let's see what happens when the Nazis try to open up that, that ark. Flo, anash forinsta. Flo, albachra la hinsa michna.
don't look at it. Shut your eyes, Marie, and don't look at it, no matter what happens. get the feeling that you don't mess with the ark. You get the feeling that it, this ark has some kind of power. And that's the same thing that David learned when he was going to bring it back. You may remember that, that Saul used the ark as a magic charm. He was battling the Philistines and she said, he thought, well, if we just take the ark, we'll, we'll have we'll have a victory. We'll win the day. And so he takes the ark into battle with them. And it has the opposite effect. They lost the battle and they lost the ark. And the Philistines took the ark over and they left it in this village and bad things started happening in the village. And the Philistines said, we don't want this ark. We don't want it. Plagues are coming. It's bad news, bad news. So they kind of hooked it up to, to a cart with oxen and without a driver sent it on its way back to Israel. And, and the scripture kind of indicates that, that God was pleased with the ark going back to Israel without a driver because it went on. And it ended up in the family of Abinadad, and they took care of it for two decades. Um, just, you know, they took care of it, and good things happened to their family. And David ha is, is now king. This is two, two decades later, and, and he wants to unite the kingdom. It's a problem sometimes when the, when the citizens are on different sides of issues, right? And so you try to figure out how we can unite the kingdom. How, how can we unite Israel, the northern kingdom? People don't like the southern kingdom people. How can we unite them? And he says, what we need to do is bring the ark back to Jerusalem. We need to bring the ark to Jerusalem. And so everybody can, can, can uh, center their lives around this central figure, this symbol, this, this powerful thing. And so he, he goes out and, and the, the story that's before what, what we read today is the story about when they, his first attempt to bring the ark back. He calls for this national celebration, the big parade at six miles from where the ark is into Jerusalem. And he says, we're going to have a big parade. Everybody come out and watch and it'll be, we'll have fireworks and a barbecue. We'll have hot dogs. It'll be great. And so, so everybody comes out for this big celebration, but he doesn't do his research. He doesn't, he doesn't know and remember how the best way to move the ark is. And so he, they, they, they hook it up to oxen and they're pulling it on its way to Jerusalem. And um, the, the family of the folks that had been caring for it are, are there helping him. Uzzah's there. And, uh, and, he, 
and the, the ox in the cart somehow slip, and, and Uzzah is afraid the ark might fall off the cart. And so he reaches up and touches it. You remember what happens then? I hope nothing like that on Indiana Jones like that rawr, happened, but, but he, he, he fell down dead. And it was presumed that, that, that it was God striking him dead because he touched the ark. Um, now, he could have had a heart attack. We don't know. But it was presumed that it was, it was because he touched the ark that he, that he fell down dead. And the whole celebration was ruined and it was called off. That, isn't that a, a leader's nightmare? You know, you plan a big party and then disaster happens and, you know, he's humiliated and he's mad at God, you know, for doing this to him. So David does his research and he finds out, oh, the way that you carry the ark is priests have to do it. See, there is a role for priests. There is, you know, that sometimes, you know, we're important, you know. So the priests are the only ones that, that can deal with the ark. And they, they do it on poles, on their shoulders, and they run the, the poles through the hoops. Kind of like what you saw in, in the movie there. And now the ark itself, you know, has two cherubim on each side. And, and it's kind of a throne in the middle. And that's the, the seat of God. And what's inside the ark? Inside the ark, you've got um, maybe the Ten Commandments, the rod of um, Aaron, manna, maybe the bones of Joseph. So, you know, it's pretty important relics of the, of the, of the Israelite faith. And it's supposed to be in the ark. And, but, but that's where God sits. That's God's presence. Um, kind of the same thing as uh, Holy Communion that we'll have today. And baptism, the waters of baptism. God is present in those sacraments. And that's what the ark represented. And so they're trying to bring this ark back. And, and David does his research this time. And he says, okay, well, let's find some priests. Any, anybody left that from the priestly family? And a, well, of course they are. So, so they get the priests out and they, they call in for the second big national celebration. And he said, everybody come out. We're going to have barbecue and hot dogs and fireworks. It's going to be great. And, and so they, they, they line the, the, that, that trail on into um, to Jerusalem. And he finds out something else. The, the priests are not supposed to wear big, fancy, beautiful robes. They're supposed to be transparent. In other words, get down to your underwear, basically. And, uh, and David said, well, I'm no better, I'm no better than that. So he got down in his underwear too. And he's just, and the priests come and they pick up the ark and they're carrying it. And he's just dancing and going crazy, leaping and, and dancing and just, you know, it's a great, great day. The celebration's going well and they get into to Jerusalem and he puts it under the tent of meeting and, and everybody has, has a feast. It's socialism. They, they, they feed everybody, a big picnic. Um, everybody, whether you're poor or rich, whatever, everybody gets all that good food. It's a great national holiday. It's one that they will remember for a long time, this big, this big national celebration. What is David trying to do? He's trying to unite the kingdoms, the northern and the southern, around the ark. You might remember what that, that's kind of the same thing that 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 we that we need to do over and over again. Put God in the center of our lives. Put God in the center of our community. It's not a new idea with David. You may remember that when Moses was with the Israelites and they were in the, wandering in the wilderness, and the and the first tent of tabernacle was you know with the holy of holies was 
was established, the instructions were that the tent of, of meeting, as they called it, the tabernacle with the Holy of Holies and the ark, went in the center of the camp. Then, then the instructions were that, that some tribes would go to the north, some to the south, some to the east, some to the west. In other words, that the ark is the center. So all of their life is, is rotated around the, the ark. It's, you, you put it in the center. And, and that's what David is trying to do to unite the kingdom. If we can just have God in the center of our nation, you know, things will be different. You know, it will remind us constantly to put God in the center of our lives. And it reminds me, what does it mean to have God in the center of our lives? What does it mean for God to be the center of our, our nation? You know, it... it, it I think for each person it may mean something different. When we make Christ the center of our lives, we're, we're attempting to be like Christ. We're reminded uh, that, that Christ is to be important in our lives. How we spend our money, how we spend our energy, how we, how we spend our time, all we have to ask that question. Is, is this pleasing to Christ? Is my life reflecting the light of Christ? Is my life echoing Christ? When Christ is the center of our lives, our whole life kind of goes around God. We need to ask that question, uh, what would Jesus do in this situation? What would the loving Christ do? I think that's what Jesus was trying to teach us. Put God in the center, the loving God in the center. Now, the Pharisees of the day, they, they had kind of their religion in the center of their lives. And their religion was more of law and rules and judgment. But it wasn't really the loving kind of God. So uh, a question that we have to ask, are, are, are we reflecting in our lives, you know, the, the love of God in what we do? In a Christ-centered life, we acknowledge that, that God has a role in our lives. We surrender to God. Uh, we care about what Jesus cared about. You know, there's, there's, I've done a few funerals over the years, and and it's, and sometimes I'll be with a family, and, and I'll say, well, tell me about your loved one. What, what? And they said, well, really, they came to church all the time, and well, not much to say. Kind of like they just all were always were at the church, and I said, so the church was the center of their life, and they say, yeah, I guess so. I said, that's not a bad thing, is it? <laughs> you know, if, if the church is the center of your life, it's not a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing. That's what we need. That's what we want to do when we make Christ the center of our lives. Just, and just like the ark, we dare not come into God's presence taking it for granted or taking it lightly. You know, being in the presence of God is no small thing. No small thing. When we have Holy Communion, it's no small thing. When I was growing up, I, uh, I memorized the Pledge of Allegiance. Anybody here learn the Pledge of Allegiance? You remember it? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation. What's next? Under God, one nation, under God, indivisible, with what? 
Justice and liberty for all. It's a simple pledge. We all learned it, didn't we? What, where, you know where that pledge came from? It came when our country was torn apart and was divided after the Civil War and in Reconstruction. And people thought, you know, we need something that's going to unite us. What can unite us? They didn't have an ark. Um, so this, this Baptist minister, who was a socialist, by the way, I know it's a bad word, but I just thought that's funny when I, or interesting when I read He came up with this pledge, the words that we memorize, that we say pretty much the same words as today. And they, they, he, he campaigned that we, we have flags in every schoolroom in the whole country. And, and school kids would learn the pledge and they would learn to be patriotic. They would learn that we had one country and it would heal the divide. Heal the divide. And so that's where we got the Pledge of Allegiance that we all memorize today. The words have changed a little bit about in 19... Oh, four or so, it, it was I pledge allegiance to my flag. And they changed it to I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. So they kind of added that phrase. And then another curious thing happened in, in the 1950s. The President Eisenhower became a Christian. He became a believer in 1953. He was president of the United States. I don't know if there's any other president that became a Christian while they were in office. But he, he, he got religion. And he started going to church and he was baptized in a Presbyterian church. And so there was this religious zeal kind of going around in the country. And in 1948, the, the, the Catholic Knights of Columbus had inserted the words when they said the pledge at their meetings to that under God. That phrase, which of course came from Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address under God. And so the Knights of Columbus, the Catholic men, were, were saying the pledge at all their meetings under God, and they had that. And so there was, they were advocating that we put that in the Pledge of Allegiance, and that, that the whole country would say. And so President Eisenhower was this new Christian, and, there was, and so there was great interest, and so Congress passed. This, this new idea to insert the words under God in the Pledge of Allegiance. So that's what I learned. Some of you might have been older and you didn't, you didn't memorize it as under God, but that's, what, what, that's where it is today. And the whole point of this, this, uh, this pledge was to unite a divided country through the pledge. David's emphasis was uniting the country. Through the ark. Oh, how we need that ark today, don't we? We need something that divide that can unite divided people and remind us that we all live under God. Under God. The pledge reminds us, the ark reminds us to keep God the center of our lives, the center of our community. And the ideals of liberty and justice for all people, for everybody, is, is what we believe in. And justice implies equality. So this 4th of July, let us remember David, who worked for unity to unify Israel under God, keeping God the center of their community, center of their lives. The ark 
symbolize that God is present, just as Holy Communion and baptism symbolize God's presence with us today. As you come for Holy Communion today, and you hold the body and the blood of Christ, don't take it lightly. God's presence is powerful. Let us pray. We confess, O oh God, that we don't always make you the center of our lives. We know that you invite all of us who repent of our sin and seek to live in peace with one another. We confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We failed to be an obedient church. We've not done your will. We've broken your law. We've rebelled against your love. And we have not done a good job of loving our neighbors or hearing the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Forgive us, O oh God, and may we experience your forgiveness this day. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.